0: We are traveling through Mark, we're in Mark 5, and for me Mark 5 begs this question, why do people lose hope? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12 says this, it says a hope deferred makes the heart sick. That when we have to wait for something and something doesn't happen when we want to, when there's delays, that's when you start to lose hope. Your heart gets sick. It's you're at that job year after year after year and you're waiting for that promotion. And it never happens, you keep being overlooked time and time again, eventually you lose hope. It's you're waiting for him to pop that question and month after month, year after year, he doesn't. It's the pregnancy test that you take every month that continues to be negative. It's the hoping that your blood test comes back with cancer-free, but it doesn't. Time after time after time. And you start to lose hope. Time and hope are interwoven And for believers, this is one area that I think we actually have it more difficult than unbelievers. Because we know God is good. And he's loving. And he's powerful. And he's able. And so then we ask, well, God, why are you waiting? I'm a dad, and if my child was sick and I could do something, I would do it. I would not wait. So God... Why do you wait? I'm a dad, and if one of my kids was addicted and I could help them, I would. So why do you wait? That's Mark chapter five. It's these stories of hope lost, one after another after another. They're grouped together, right? So last week, if you were with us, we looked at the story of the demoniac. A man whose family had tried to help him, they tried to bind him and control him, put rules on him, but he broke everything. They couldn't control him, he was out of control. And so he ends up being homeless, living in a graveyard. And maybe you have experienced that with your family. A mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle who, men you've tried everything in the world to help them, but they break everything. And now they're homeless and strung out. And you wonder, God, why? Now his issue was a spiritual issue. It was a demon. And if you read that story, it is the largest demonic force in the entire Bible. Legion, they call themselves. And that largest demonic force in the Bible, they're terrified of Jesus. Remember that? They were terrified of him. Like, do we realize the power that Jesus brings? Well, that that was Jesus. You know, it's different now. Okay, read Acts. Read the power that was in the disciples. Read the power. Read Acts 19, a story of a demon. So it's the city of Ephesus, and there are these guys that have heard about the power of Jesus, and so they start becoming these poser exorcists, right? They're in it for the fame, They're in it for the Instagram story. Check this out, man. We're going to this house and there's a demon-possessed dude. That's what they're doing. So these seven sons of Sceva, they're pulling this kind of scheme and they enter this house where there's this demon-possessed man. And this is what they say to that demon. They say, we adjure you. By the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, get out. And it says that demon-possessed man looked at these seven sons of Sceva and said, Jesus I know, Paul I'm acquainted with, but who are you guys? I can imagine their face falling right then. And then it was on, seven on one, MMA. And it says that those seven sons of Sceva fled the house naked and wounded. Real simple measure of a fight. If you start the fight with pants on and you leave without them, you lost, right? (laughs) but guess what the demons say yeah we know Jesus oh we know him we know Jesus I think sometimes Christians we forget the power of Jesus and we start trying to get almost too cerebral or too philosophical right demons don't know the name of Freud they should have known the name of Jesus and we start attempting to use these Methods that, wait a second. Wait a second. Christianity is not a philosophy. It, it has philosophy in it, but it's not a philosophy. Christianity is not necessarily theology. Oh, it has a theology in it, and it's really important. Christianity, the center of Christianity is one thing it's Jesus. That we need to be a people that move through people's objections, and which is when I share. I I listen to questions and try to move through those objections. And my one goal is this, get to Jesus as quick as possible. He's the center. He's the power. The largest demonic force ever. Terrified, right? Hope restored to someone that all had given up hope on, right? Now we get two more stories, very similar. There's delays, there's interruptions, there's problems. And it seems like hope is lost. And they're kind of tied together, so we're gonna move through the stories, and then we're gonna talk about why God waits. I'm gonna give you some reasons why I think, maybe in your life, you've experienced it, why does God wait? All right, so jump in with me, Mark chapter five, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, so he has gone across the lake, big storm, he quiets it, shows up to the demoniac, kicks the legion out of him, he's headed back. A great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. We're introduced to this guy named J. Iris. We're told a bunch of times he is the ruler of a synagogue because that's a real important point to mark. It means this. I know religious leaders are kind of on the ropes today, but 2,000 years ago, you were it. You were the big man in that city. You'd be well connected. You'd be well respected. You'd be the person that everyone would want to be friends with. We find out he's got a servant, so he's wealthy as well. So he's way up there. But here's the other part of this story. At this point in Jesus's ministry, he has been identified as a threat to the synagogue system. So you look at chapter 3, they actually accuse him of being a son of Satan. They accuse him of blasphemy, which is a capital offense. They accuse him of breaking the rules of the Sabbath, which in the Old Testament, people were put to death for. So they're already setting up their case to have Jesus killed, right? So these guys are polar opposites. They're not friends with each other. When Jairus does this, when he comes to him, he is going to lose everything, right? Let me try to put this modern, right? How, how huge of a deal this is for him to come and humbly throw himself at Jesus' feet and ask for help. This would be like Joe Biden calling Donald Trump and saying, help me with Afghanistan. <laughs> kind of messed up there, right? <laughs> I mean, to be that level of, are you kidding So this crowd would be like, whoa, these guys are enemies. Whoa, he is publicly, humbly wanting help because he has gone hopeless, completely hopeless at this point. And isn't this what good dads do? Don't good dads give up everything for their kids? Like it doesn't matter my reputation, my job. It doesn't matter if my kids aren't doing well. I'll give it all up. To help them. That's what Jairus is doing. He's putting it all in here. Jesus, help my son. Right? So here's what happens. He agrees. Jairus is, man, he's got to be just full of hope right now. Yes! And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse, hopeless. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and said to and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease interruption delay verse 30 always makes me marvel. Jesus, crowd around him, all of a sudden he says, power went out of me, time out, power just went out of me. That should make you say, what? Because the two preceding stories are Jesus exercising unbelievable power, right? There's a massive hurricane, he's in the boat, they're all about ready to die, and they're like, Jesus, help us, what does Jesus do? He shusses it like a little child. Be quiet and stay quiet. Jesus didn't say, Whoa, ho, this is a big one. Okay, disciples. All right, I gotta get loosened up here. Someone slapped me a couple times. I gotta get it psyched up. No. Shh, be quiet. To a hurricane. The largest demonic force in Scripture. What does Jesus say? Woo! Oh boy. Guys, would you go over there and be praying for me during this time? Because I don't know about this one. This is Legion here. No, they're begging him for mercy. No problem. And yet, you have this story of a woman touching his garment and being like, Ow! What happened? Everyone stop! Right? You're supposed to be like, What in the world? Why? Here's why Jesus did not come for hurricanes. Or demons. Jesus came for women who have had an issue of blood for 12 years that now is causing them to be ostracized from their society, barren, completely kicked out, unclean, unable to touch anything or anyone else, never able to go to the temple. That's who Jesus came for. And so Jesus, in the midst of this, just says, Time out. Doesn't say it for the hurricane or the demon, but for this woman. Time out. This lady who is broken by this disease, who is sinning by touching me because she's unclean. She's supposed to not even be in a crowd. Who's doing all these things? Time out. Time out. I want to help her. How good is Jesus? I guess it's brilliant. All right. So Jairus, there was going, dude, like, really? Come on, all right? And here's why. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, so Jesus is talking a bunch to this lady. We get a condensed version of what he says. So he's still having a conversation with this lady. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the trouble? Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Remember I told you about a Markian sandwich, that Mark will interrupt a story with another story, which is what he's doing right here, right? It's the man, Jairus, woman with the issue of the blood, back to Jairus, and there's meat in there. This is the meat verse. Don't be afraid, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except James and Peter and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him from weeping and wailing to laughing. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him And went in where the child was, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Brilliant. Why does God make us wait? 12 years for this woman, waiting, praying, hoping, Jairus. It went from a fever to death because Jesus Jesus waited. And you see in the Bible, he does that. John 11, he waits till Lazarus dies. Why? Why does God make us wait? I'm gonna give you five reasons why I think God makes us wait. Some of them are in this story, some are not. But five reasons I found in my own life too, that God makes us wait. Reason number one, to push us. So how do you get muscles? Like I'm legitimately asking, 49 years, I still haven't figured it out. Like how do you get muscles? (laughs) Right? You have to break your muscles. You have to push your muscles beyond what you could think they could stand and handle so that they actually tear and then in repair, they get bigger. That's what you do, that's why you're sore. That's what Jesus does to us. He'll push us. That's what he does. You may feel like that right now. You may feel like things are getting worse and worse. Anyone feel like things are getting worse and worse? Of course, Matt, it's 2021. That's what this year is. It's like a really bad horror movie where you just keep kind of, how can it get any worse? Oh, it can, right? So your car blows up. You can't make it to work, so you get fired from your job, and then you lose your health care, and when your kids get sick, and then you got bills stacking up, and you can't pay your bills, so you gotta borrow some money. You can't pay it back, so your family gets mad at you, and there's gossip going around you, and your marriage starts to dissolve, and you're like, ah, and you wanna say, can things get any worse? Do not say that, (laughs) right? Because they can, and you're just like, why in the world, why? So Jairus went from, A daughter who had a fever, the other gospel tells us. But because Jesus waited, he now has a daughter that's dead. That's worse. This woman, what she wanted to do was she wanted to get in there, and she wanted to grab and go. And Jesus won't let it happen that way, right? He times out everything. Pushes, pushes Jairus. Jairus, you believe that I can heal a fever, Do you believe I can conquer death? I'm gonna push your faith. Don't be afraid, only believe. This woman who wanted to just just kind of touch the hem of Jesus's garment, almost kind of superstitious, sneaky. She's sinning by doing it, by the way, because she's unclean. She's not supposed to touch anyone's. She's sinning, sneaky, superstitious, is all of a sudden called out by Jesus in the middle of this great crowd, in her sin and in her junk. That's a push, is it not? Why would Jesus do that to her? Because Jesus wants this lady with this issue of blood for 12 years to know something. He's not some shaman. He's not some superstitious thing that you can just grab a hold of and get what you want. He's so much more. And so Jesus times out, knowing what 12 years has done to this woman, knowing that she is, cannot have kids, cannot get married, can't go to the temple, can't go to family reunions, can't be around anyone, can't be touched. She knows all this. He knows all this about her. So Jesus is going to spend a minute to make things different for this woman. First, notice what he calls her. Daughter, you are in my family now. I know your family has rejected you. I know things have been tough for you. Welcome to my family. And the second reason I believe Jesus publicly brings her out and declares that she's clean in the midst of this crowd is to let the entire crowd know she's no longer unclean. She is now clean and healed. She doesn't have to be ostracized. She can get married. She can have kids. She can be in community. Now, he does that to let everybody know she's clean. One of the most brilliant things I get to do as a pastor is I get to tell people that have been 12 years in bloody, horrible sin, I get to look at them and because of Jesus Christ, I get to declare to them, you're clean, your sins are forgiven. It's one of the most amazing things I get to do. Every one of us, we're all priesthood of believers. You can tell people that have placed their faith in Jesus, that feel overwhelmed by sin and guilt, you get to tell them, you're clean. You're forgiven. When you come to Jesus, know this like Jairus, like this woman, he's going to push you. Do you know that? He's gonna push you harder and further than you could ever have wanted to be pushed. But it's for your good. I'll give you a couple examples from my life. So I knew I was called to ministry and uh, I wanted to take some steps that direction. So I decided to join the school of ministry, a kind of a discipleship program. And I told God going in, I said this, listen, I wanna teach the Bible. I don't wanna be a missionary. I don't wanna eat bugs. I like to play toilet paper. I don't want that kind of ministry. I want the nice, clean, teach the Bible ministry, right? So go to the school of ministry. First three months, three and a half months, are down in Mexico at this orphanage called Carmen Serdon where you're caring for handicapped, physically and mentally handicapped orphans. And so I go down there, and day one, you show up, and the orphans all greet you there in the cocina, the, ch- the kitchen, and you're kind of getting orientated, and they tell you this, hey, tomorrow morning, we're gonna give you some details about the orphan or orphans that you will be caring for as you stay down here. And I remember, looking across all these orphans, and there was one, I'd actually met him before, his name was Ricky, and he'd been up here with Bob Simonson, severely mentally and physically handicapped, strapped in a in a wheelchair, all that. I remember I prayed, I said, God, please, I'll take care of any of these orphans, except for Ricky, (laughs) right? Never pray that way, because the next morning I look at my name, I come down, Matt Heverly, I look over, Ricky evenings, like, oh, I should've said, please give me Ricky, God, I want Ricky, (laughs) right? (laughs) So here's what that meant. My evenings, six of the seven days of the week, my evenings were, take Ricky, after he'd eaten, hang out with him a bit, clean up a little bit. Then if he needed a shower, there's a schedule for showers, I'd give him a shower. Then I would change his diaper. And I don't know, he was 20, 22 years old. You ever changed a man's diaper? Not fun. Best training for having babies in the world. Because when I had babies, I was like, that cute little thing, yeah, I'll change that. No problem, right? My wife and I had a very simple philosophy on dirty diapers finders keepers, right? You found it, you're changing it. And I'm like, no problem, man. I changed a full grown man's diaper, right? So do that, put your diaper on him, put his pajamas on, get him in bed and pray for him. And what I found was this. I fell in love with Ricky, that he has a personality, that he's an image bearer of God, that he had a laugh, that he recognized me, that he would communicate in his own little way with me. And that's what I needed. See, I had another orphan. He was a one-year-old, Daniel. Super easy, right? Put him on my shoulders, go run around, have great time with him. I didn't grow that much from Daniel. Love my time with Daniel. Ricky pushed me and grew me, and that's what Jesus knew I needed, right? So then in the school of ministry... They had been telling me, hey, what are your plans after school? Because we're trying to figure that out. I said, well, I want to be in ministry. And they said, well, keep everything open because we have a youth pastor position open for you. I'm like, awesome, man. Teach the Bible. Go wakeboarding. Go snowboarding. Right? Play ping pong and foosball. Totally, I'm in, man. That'll be awesome. Well, graduation night. I'm like waiting for my youth pastor position. And they said, well... Actually, we have a different opportunity for you. It's to go on the mission field in Vanuatu. I remember thinking in my head in that moment, that sounds a lot like I don't want to. That's what Vanuatu sounds like to me, right? I did not wanna go to Vanuatu. But I did. Best year of my unmarried life. It was fantastic. Hard? Totally. Did I have to wait on a lot of stuff? Yeah, I had to wait almost two years to get married because of that. Put a lot of things on pause. I would not be up here, I don't believe, if it was not for my year in Vanuatu. It was so huge in my life. Sometimes God, with a Jairus, with this woman with the issue of blood, with you and me, he causes us to wait because he wants to push us. Jairus, you believe the fever that I can cure? Do you believe I can cure death? Right? To push us. Woman, you want to just sneak in and do this and disappear. I want you to publicly proclaim your faith in me and tell you you become part of my family. It's to push us, always for our good. That's why he waits. Number two, to broaden us. So you got Jairus. He got Jesus in. He's hustling, I'm sure, to his house. And as they're hustling along, this event happens. Jesus times out, right, for this Broken, poor woman. Jairus is the opposite end of the spectrum. He is rich. He is connected. He is a leader. He's top of his game. He's the most important man in the city. And what did he need to learn? I'm not the only one with issues. I'm not the only one that has problems. And it's no coincidence that his daughter is 12 years old. And this woman for 12 years had been struggling with this disease and spent everything she had and only got worse and worse and worse and worse. It was to tell Iris. yeah, you got a problem, no doubt about it. This woman, for as long as your daughter has been alive, day after day, month after month, year after year, over a decade has been bleeding out, getting sicker and sicker and worse and worse. Why does God make us wait? because in every single one of us, there's a narcissist. And I'll excuse you if you don't know what narcissist means because one of my kids this week was like this, Dad, have you heard about the narcissist that's starting all the fires in California? I was like, you mean the arsonist? (laughs) It was so good, oh, a narcissist can only see themselves in everything. Everything has to circle around them. It's their issue, it's their problem, it's their, it's them, 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 them. And I think the more money you have, there is a danger with money that you start to become more about you. And I think social media, one of the blowbacks of social media is it is inflaming narcissism. So that great philosopher, Mark Zuckerberg, of Facebook. <laughs> he said this about social media. He said, Here's what's happening. A dead squirrel in your front yard is more important than people dying in Africa because it's in your front yard. It's in my yard, it's in my little thing, it's on my Instagram story. It's really important. It's a squirrel, and there's people dying in Africa. Yeah, but it doesn't matter, it's a squirrel in my front yard. So sometimes th- the timeout is this. Look around, Matt. There's other people suffering. There's other people hurting. And you need to just take a little bit of time and relax and slow down and realize you're not the only one with problems. You're not the only one that has it hard. As long as your daughter's been alive, GIRS, this woman has been struggling with this issue. Number three, it's our witness. This woman for 12 years had been struggling with this disease. Jairus' daughter had a fever, the other gospels tell us, and the fever became death. Worse and worse and worse. Difficulty. Now why? It's our witness. We have a book in Scripture that's all about suffering. Anyone know that book? It's not Job, it's Job. Some people think it's Job. Yeah, Job is suffering. And Job is all about a man who had everything. And lost it all, all of his cattle, all of his kids, all of his cash. The only thing he did not lose, his wife, who was quite the winner. I think Satan was like, hey, don't take her. I think she's on our side. Keep her. (laughs) Now, why is Job in the Bible? Because he got a hangnail or a nasty email? No, because of the incredible nature of his suffering. That's why. See, if this woman had an issue of blood for 12 days and Jesus healed her, then people could argue, well, I think she was getting better anyways. No, it was hopeless. She'd gone to every doctor, every physician. She'd spent every cent she'd have, and she did not get better. She got worse. Jairus's daughter, if she just had a fever, people could be like, well, you know, she was actually getting a little bit better. The fever was starting to go. it wasn't 190 anymore, it was 104. It was getting better. She was, she was progressing. No, she's dead. And she's dead. Like sometimes I think get, things get worse and worse and worse so that our testimony is that powerful. It's for our testimony, it's for our witness. That's why. Fourthly, it's to perfect us. Like I've said, verse 35, excuse me, verse 38 is the meat. Verse 36, man, I'm going to say every verse in this Bible. Verse 36 is the meat here. Do not fear, only believe. That's the point of this chapter. So in the school of ministry, we had to memorize the book of James. We had to memorize it in the King James Version because that's the authorized version. It's the version Jesus read. So that's what we memorized in it. And so I still have in my head, just packed in there, James 1 Two and three, King James style. Brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various tribulations, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. And let patience have her perfect work that you might be complete, lacking nothing. Why does God make us wait? Because there's something in patience There's something in patience that makes us better. And probably you're here today because partially we come because we want to be better. We're hoping to be better. Maybe you're hoping to be perfect. And God says, great, I have a plan for you then. Hard times, delays, interruptions, difficulty, and during it all, you have to be patient. You're like, God, I want a different plan. Because I don't like patience. Anyone here love patience? Like, there's a lot of virtues that I do like. I would love to be kinder. I'd love to be more gracious. I'd love to be more merciful. I'd love to be more disciplined. But you know what? I don't want to be more patient. Like, wait longer for something. That's stupid. I don't want to wait longer for it. I want it now, right? Anyone here want patience? Anyone here love patience? Anyone like, I just can't wait till I have to go to the DMV. It is the highlight of my year. I wait there for hours. Right? So why? Why does God do this to us? Because what impatience demonstrates is a me problem. I wanna make it someone else. Like, what is wrong with you? Drive the car. The long thing on the right side, push it for crying out loud, right? Cash register, stop talking, pay. You're paying with a check? No! Right? What's that revealing? I'm a selfish pig. That's what it's revealing. It's not her fault. It's not the guy driving in front of me. It's me. It's a me problem. I want to make it everybody else. No, it's a me problem. I got problems. I'm selfish. That's what the problem is. So when I zip down 6th Street and at at 7-Eleven, I zip over and make all 30 cars behind me hit their brakes, that's a me problem. I don't care about anyone else. I care about me. And the way that God cures me, my problem, perfects me perfects me is, he says, yeah, you're gonna have to wait because Matt, you need it. You got issues. And it's been proven, right? The marshmallow test where they took kids, they put a marshmallow on a plate and they said, hey, if you'll wait 15 minutes and not eat this marshmallow, we'll give you two. The cruelest scientific experiment in history. (laughs) Right? And so then they put a camera on and the people left and they just watched these kids and some of the kids like hid underneath the table and some of them just like closed their eyes. One kid just went hop and ate it. Like, I love him. He's like, I ain't, I ain't playing your game. That's stupid. I'm out of here then. Hey, test over. I'm leaving. <laughs> what they found were the kids that could wait. Man, they looked at them 15 years later and they found they were more successful. They didn't do drugs. Like, every, everything you could measure, they were better. So God says, Matt, I want to perfect you. I'm gonna root that thing out of you. So you're gonna wait. Fifthly and lastly, I call it the hope, but it's from this little phrase in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. It's an just an enigmatic phrase. It's Abraham hoped against hope. What does that mean? All right, how do you hope against hope? You're hoping against the same thing. What? Those aren't enemies, it's the same thing. What's hope against hope? And you have to know his story to understand what's being said there. Because it's being said about Abraham when he's 99 years old and his wife is 90 and they have no kids. That's the story. And for a long time, he had hope, but he did not have the hope. And his hope was this he gets married to Sarah and they want to have kids. And so they start trying to have kids. And, Month after month and year after year, decade after decade goes by and they don't have kids. And then he's 75 and his wife is 66. And God shows up, Genesis chapter 12. Hey, man, you're gonna have a bunch of kids. And Abraham's like, cool, he's still got hope. And then month after month, year after year, a decade goes by and he's 85 and it's Genesis 15. And so he says, God, like, what's up, bro? I don't have kids yet. You said I was gonna have kids. And so God says, look up at the stars. And if you can count them, that's how many kids you're going to have. And Abraham just says, amen. Yeah, it's going to happen. And then month after month, year after year, 15 years goes by. And now it's Genesis 17. And God comes to him again and says, you're going to have kids. You and Sarah are going to have a kid. Guess what Abraham does this time? He laughs. What? (laughs) Oh, come on. Can a 99-year-old have kids? Okay, when I was 75, it's possible. 85, maybe, improbable. 99, it just ain't happening. He laughs. And then he actually says, God, forget that. That's not happening. Take Ishmael instead. And God says, no. You and Sarah are going to have a kid. And it doesn't sink in because what you have is Genesis 18 where God comes to Abraham in physical form. You guys know the story. It's God the son, two angels, and they show up, To Abraham, and they have a meal with Abraham in his tent. And that time, God the Son looks at Abraham and says, Listen, I'm going to visit you. And this time next year, you and Sarah will have a child. It's like all hope is gone, right? It's come on, Abraham. And it says Sarah was listening at the tent flap and she heard this. And guess what she did? She laughed. And then God looked at Abraham and said, Why did your wife laugh at me? Your spouse ever embarrassed you before? That would be pretty high embarrassment right there. Like, how does Abraham answer that? Like, I don't know. I mean, you created her. Come on, God. (laughs) What's that story telling us? The normal human hope that someone could have in God's promises was gone. He didn't have any of those anymore. And he had to learn that there's the hope. See, there's regular hope. Listen, man, I hope my immune system works well. I hope nature takes its normal course. I hope the judge is lenient and will understand. Right? Because they weren't my drugs anyways. They were someone else's. There's all these hopes, right? It's really you're hoping in the normal kind of way things can function. But there can come a point in my life in your life where you have to hope against that hope. Because if you're one of Abraham's buddies at this time and you knew his story from the time he was 20 until the time he was 99, what would you say to him when he's saying, I think next year I'm gonna have a kid? What would you say? Bro, don't get your hopes up. You get your hopes up when you're 75, you got your hopes up when you're 85, bro, don't get your hopes up. So he had to hope against hope. It's a whole different kind of hope. It's not hope, 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 whatever. It's the hope. It's the hope. If Jesus doesn't do something here, there's no hope. That my hope is in him and him alone, period. That Jairus had come to Jesus believing that he could heal a fever. And his daughter died. And now would he believe that Jesus could conquer death, which is a different level. Like for us, what's harder, a fever or death? Well, this, I can do Tylenol. I mean, I don't have anything here. That's the level that Jairus was brought to. Now you've got no other option. I am the hope, period, that God sometimes, I think in every Christian's life, will bring us to the point where you have to hope against hope, and then you have to jump into his arms. And it's a different level. It's an absolute different level. Level And what Jesus shows Jairus is this, fever and death are no different to me, that I will grab your daughter and lift her out of the grave like I was waking a sleeping child. That's why the meat of this entire chapter is this verse, verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. You wanna sum up the Bible? There's a good verse to sum it up in. Do Not fear, only believe. I am the hope, me. And maybe you're at the end right now. Maybe you feel like this woman for 12 years. You've had problems and issues and it just doesn't seem to be getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. Maybe you feel like Jairus. Man, I prayed to God and and I thought there was gonna answer and then the answer didn't help and it got worse. It's verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. That that's what God is trying to do for you and me. Perfect us and broaden us and push us and strengthen us and get us to center on the hope. That's why every Sunday we finish with communion. It forces me as a Bible teacher to come to the hope, to come to the cliff and jump and trust him. And so Jesus today, as we hold in our hands your broken body, Words are easy. Life is hard. Don't fear, only believe is impossibly hard. So I pray as we eat that you would make your words become flesh and dwell in us and live in us. We'd be centered on the hope. Let's eat together. And we hold the cup. I confess I'm selfish, I'm impatient. I'm a narcissist. I've been this way for longer than 12 years and it's killing me. And so I pray today for each one of us as we drink this cup that you would cleanse us and touch us and cure us. And that we would hear spoken, whispered by your spirit into our spirits, you are my daughter, you are my son, and you are clean. You are forgiven. Let's drink together. Amen. So we'll sing one final song. After that, you can be dismissed. We'll also have prayer up here. If you feel like you're at the end of your rope, come up and get prayer. If you have needs, any needs, cast all your cares upon him. Come up, be prayed for. We also offer baptism. It's a way of embodied remembrance. You are embodying and remembering what Jesus has done for you, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. If today is the day where you say, I wanna be baptized, I wanna obey my king, I wanna go into those waters, the old passed away, behold, all things have become new, then please come up. We'll have somebody standing right over here they'd love to baptize you. We'd love to be part of your story, what Jesus is doing in your life. Would you stand for this final song?